1: Hello everyone, I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your weekly weekly dose of Wicked. wicked. so spooky i know you know why because it's a no
2: <laughs> i don't know what we were saying here halloween. i thought maybe we were saying like it's a halloween episode like i thought that's what we were going for here
1: no i was just gonna say like it, and you were gonna say halloween that was the
2: plan oh it is halloween 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 yes there we go perfect
1: <laughs> happy halloween to all of our listeners We have a very special
2: treat for you in the form of a bonus episode. I think you're being a little too high-pitched in your spookiness because it's not coming through. (laughs) Is that better? (laughs) Better.
1: (laughs) Anyway, we don't want to waste too much of your time. We want to get right down to business. A few things we want to just quickly touch on before that, though. Uh, You know what to do, man. Write us reviews. Leave us ratings. Apple Podcasts please and thank you we had a very eventful week this week we were chosen to be in the new podcast little segment of uh samsung free so we got a whole bunch of new listeners hopefully you guys are still sticking around doesn't really seem like it though seems like you guys peaced out but
2: hopefully you're still here that was super exciting though we got a lot of listens
1: dude we got like what three thousand downloads in like a week
2: Yeah, that was pretty. It was
1: awesome. It just kept like boom, 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 boom. Like our, and it was the worst week it could have happened because it was the week we had issues with our mic, well, your mic, and then I had to put out like a last-minute Patreon episode. just wasn't a great week for it to happen, but it is what it is. We're just thankful we were chosen. So anyway, we were super thankful to be featured in that. It was awesome. We also were on like the third line of the true crime segment in Samsung Free. So yeah, it was super exciting um but anyway that that ship sailed now they took us off of there because they put other new podcasts up but hey you know what it's fine share the love
2: well i think they like update every week right
1: yeah i think so it's like a i think it was like a wednesday to wednesday thing yeah so it was like wednesday through tuesday of last week it was cool it was fun yep i enjoyed it I did too. Anyway, in other news, what else we got going on? In Patreon, uh, Ashley and I discussed it, and we worked on the Patreon this past week. We made a super fun welcome video. So, if you're already in the Patreon, you want to access that. If you go to the membership tab, there's like a little thank you note and a little welcome video we made for you guys. So, check that out. If you're not in the Patreon, we added a new tier this week. So, there's now four tiers. The first tier is the slightly wicked, and that tier is only $3. It does not have as many perks as the other tiers, but. We sat down, we did the math, and for $3, essentially, it's like a $0.70 cent per episode donation. So if that's something you guys can do, we'd really appreciate it. Um, we're not trying to get rich off of our podcast. It would be cool, but we're not. that's not our goal. We just really need to get some sort of income flowing in so that we can upgrade like our equipment and stuff. I mean, we got Ashley that new mic, which is great. I'm still using a crap mic. Um, our headphones kind of suck. We would really like to get, like, a mixer so we can record in person because we're still, you know, recording, like, remotely over Discord. And sometimes we have really big internet issues. So, anyway, if that's something you guys could do, we would really, really appreciate it. There's four tiers now, the lowest one being 3 bucks a month. So, head on over. Check it out if that's something you want to do. If not, totally cool. You can support us by liking us on Facebook, liking us on
2: Instagram, and leaving us those ratings and reviews. I was going to say, all of your donations on Patreon, though, only help you. This is true. Makes our podcast better for you. Which is really what we want. It helps us, too, by making it better for them. Well, yeah. But really, it's for them.
1: It is for them. Because our goal here is to, uh, you know, make awesome, wicked content.
2: Which would be better if we had better equipment. And also, it costs money to run a podcast. All of our subscriptions we have to pay for. So it would be really cool if, you know, we made enough money that it paid for itself. Right.
1: Okay. So anyway, let's jump into our episode. We have prepared two uh, cases for you this week. I have done one and Ashley has done one, and we're going to give you both of them.
2: Mini doses of wicked. Mini.
1: Yes. <laughs> Teeny tiny. That's what I meant
2: to say. That was so
1: awkward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mini. <I'm>,
1: yes. <laughs> Teeny tiny weekly doses of wicked. Yes. There you go. All right. So Ashley said I could go first, and I also won in rock, paper, scissors. So I let you win.
2: <laughs> whatever you're so full of it i'm the master of rock paper scissors so
1: bullshit so anyway i'm gonna do my case first
2: okay well you go ahead that's fine yours is probably the all right one anyways i'm gonna tell you a little story today ashley
1: about the man who killed halloween oh yeah it's gonna be lots of fun okay so i want to go ahead and set the scene for you are you ready uh, i'm already all right the year is 1998 all right okay you're two years old okay I- i'm six You know this Halloween, you're dressed as a fairy princess. Of course. Mom is a normal princess. No fairy, just princess. And I am Wednesday Adams.
2: My favorite Halloween, yes.
1: It is. It's your favorite Halloween. That's my next line. It's your favorite Halloween. We've just returned from collecting our treasures door to door. But you know the rule. We can each only have one piece of candy because it's most likely a school night and we've got to brush our teeth and go to bed. And the candy also could be poisoned. Can you not ruin my fucking cases?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I said that ruin your case.
1: But before we can have that one delectable morsel of candy, mom has to dump the entire bag and check each individual piece to make sure that it hasn't been tampered with.
2: I'm sorry. Start over. She's certain
1: that they're poisoned or there may be a razor blade inside. Okay, well, now you're just being an ass. So start back over. I won't interrupt it. No, you've already interrupted it. It's fine. So anyway, I personally find this to be absolutely unnecessary. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's obviously an urban legend. Nobody's out there poisoning kids with their Halloween candy. They're not putting freaking razor blades in Halloween candy. They're not putting drugs in Halloween candy. Who's going to waste their drugs on kids on Halloween? I don't know. If I'm a druggie, I'm not giving my drugs away to kids. No, I'm not. Anyway, we're wrong. Because in the year of 1974, that's exactly what
2: happened. Is it?
1: Yes. Are you ready? I'm already. All right. So the year is 1974. It's October 31st. And the people living in Deer Park, Texas, are excited for a fun night full of tricks and treats. Ronald O'Brien and his wife, Danine get their two children, Timothy, age 8, and Elizabeth, age 5, ready to head door-to-door to gather candy, as most children do on Halloween night. The family of four makes the short trip to Pasadena, Texas, where they had dinner plans with the Bates family, which were their friends from church. The two families had planned for the dads to escort the four children door-to-door that evening. So I just want to pause there and say, cheers to those moms. They're brilliant. They're my spirit animals. I want to be just like them. Yeah. I imagine they had dinner as a family. They were like, all right, boys, take those kids trick-or-treating. And then they just like hung out, drank wine, and spilled the tea.
2: Yeah. I mean, that would be an ideal Halloween. That's what I think happened. So it
1: was a dreary Halloween, and it really wasn't the best weather to be out walking. It was drizzling, but the kids did make the most of it. On their walk, they came across a house without its lights on. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a telltale sign that they want you to leave them alone. Yes, that's the universal sign for leave me the hell alone. Yeah, no, these kids didn't want to do that. So they went up to the door, rang the doorbell, knocked, I don't know. House has no lights on. It didn't appear that anyone was home. So the kitty pops quickly ran to the next door. Or to the next house, I mean uh ronald however lagged behind and when he caught up with the kids he had five 21 inch pixie sticks that he'd gotten from the quiet house after the kids had run off so like those big mac daddy pixie sticks you know right the cool ones the cool ones the plastic wrap ones like the cool pixie sticks that are like i don't know a buck 50 a piece two bucks a piece uh so he gave one to each of his kids and then one to each of the two neighbor kids he was with and then he had one left, and they just so happened to come across another boy that went to their church, which, by the way, Ronald was a deacon at. Um, this was an 11-year-old boy from the church, so he gave him t- he gave the last one to him.
2: Being generous on Halloween?
1: Yes, being generous on Halloween. I mean, he was a deacon of the church, so, you know, he should do that. So after they finished trick-or-treating, they headed back to the Bates home, where Ronald and Damien packed up their sweet little babies and they headed home. Now, I looked it up, and on October 31st of 1974, it was a Thursday. Ooh. So the kids had to obviously they needed to get in bed. Why are you saying ooh like that?
2: The Thursday today.
1: Oh, that's true, but it's actually Halloween Ashley. It's Monday, October thirty first.
2: Okay, sorry. I forgot.
1: We're not recording this in advance.
2: No, never. We're this recording is live.
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this now.
2: Okay, sorry, my bad.
1: Two AM to release at five AM. I'm just kidding. Yes. Anyway.
2: Yes. I'm on board.
1: So, Ronald, being the good father he was, allowed each child to pick one piece of candy to have before bed. Just like mom. Just like mom. So, Timothy, of course, chose that huge pixie stick because, you know, why the hell wouldn't he? Right?
2: You picked the biggest one. It's probably the biggest piece of candy he got that day. The biggest and the best. That's the piece you choose when you only get one.
1: Yes. Or
2: you just sneak some in your pockets.
1: I would never have done that, so it wasn't me.
2: I 100% did that.
1: No, I did use a packet in my backpack, though, to take to school the next day.
2: So what was the difference? Because I didn't sneak it in my pocket.
1: I just got up the next morning, went and got the candy, put it in my backpack. Like a handful.
2: Well, I would sneak it into my bedroom and eat it. No. So Timothy got that big pixie stick,
1: huge pixie stick. He was having a hard time getting it open. You know, sometimes they are hard to open. So Ronald assisted. And once he got it open, he was having a hard time because it was getting lumpy. You know how, like, they get lumpy if you get slime on them? Right. So it was getting lumpy. So he couldn't get it out of the tube. So Ronald again helped his eight-year-old son. He rolled it in between his hands to loosen it up. And then he said, you know what, Timothy? Just tilt your head back and I'll help you. So he had him tilt his head back and he poured it in for him. Uh, Timothy immediately complained that the pixie stick was bitter, though. So Ronald got him a glass of Kool-Aid to help wash the taste out of his mouth. Which, I mean, pixie sticks normally have a bit of sourness to them. But they're not normally bitter, I wouldn't say.
2: Right. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had a pixie stick. I had one today. Did you really? To prepare for this case? No, I didn't. That was a lie. I haven't had one in probably like 10 years, at least. Mm -hmm. I've definitely had one. Not a big one like that.
1: But a little one. Allison told me I was disgusting because I was like, my favorite ones are the paper ones. Because then when they get lumpy, I just eat the paper.
2: Yeah, you are a weirdo. (laughs) She was like,
1: that's gross. That is super gross. I was like, I just rip it off and eat the paper. (laughs) We didn't need to know that. Okay, well, sorry. It's a good trick for anyone that needs to know how to get a lumpy pixie stick down. (sighs) So anyway, it wasn't long, though, and Timothy started complaining that he had a stomach ache. Uh, Through the evening, it got to a point where he actually began vomiting, and he was convulsing on the floor. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so at this point, they did call 911. But unfortunately, Timothy did pass on his ride to the hospital.
2: Wow, that's horrible.
1: It is horrible. So initial toxicology reports determined that Timothy had died due to cyanide poisoning. There was enough cyanide in his body to kill two full-grown adults.
2: Oh my goodness, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. So investigators immediately questioned Ronald and Danine in hopes of figuring out how on earth an eight-year-old boy ingested cyanide. <sighs> Timothy's parents went back over the events of that evening, and the police determined that it must have been the Halloween candy. So they acted fast and canvassed the neighborhood where Timothy had been trick-or-treating. Families willingly surrendered their children's Halloween candy, terrified that it may be poisoned too. The police were able to locate four more Pixie Sticks that they believed had been opened and then stapled shut. And these Pixie Sticks contained lethal doses of cyanide.
2: Ooh. Uh,
1: Are you familiar with cyanide poisoning?
2: Mm, You turn blue, don't you?
1: I'm not sure.
2: Okay. No. Then no.
1: Do you turn blue from cyanide poisoning? I don't know. I thought you did. I don't see anything about turning blue. Okay. Okay, doesn't matter. What if My next thing here was, um, for this case, I did research cyanide poisoning. Okay. So if for any reason anyone's watching my computer, or if they s- decide to search my computer in the near future, that is why I looked up cyanide poisoning. Okay? <laughs> Not because you're going to do it. Not because I'm going to poison someone. I needed to know for my research. So anyway, cyanide poisoning apparently stops the body from being able to perform natural movements, such as the diaphragm moving for breathing. It also affects your heart and it's beating, so puts you into cardiac arrest. Right. Essentially, it's an extremely painful death. That's what I have determined from my research.
2: Yeah, does not sound like a fun time to me. Whoever poisoned these pixie
1: sticks is a trash bag piece of
2: shit. 100% a trash bag. So police
1: obviously want to start their investigation at the house where Ronald got the pixie sticks, you know? I mean, that's clearly where you'd start this investigation. The problem is, is that Ronald can't pinpoint the house that he got him from. It was dark. And also, remember, this wasn't their neighborhood. They went and trick-or-treated at, like, with the Bates in Pasadena, Texas, which isn't even the town that they live in. So this isn't, like, a neighborhood that he's familiar with. Right. So, since Ronald can't tell them the exact house that he got it from, um, the police just began asking neighbors if they handed out those Big Pixie Sticks or if they remember if any of the houses did give out those Big Pixie Sticks. That doesn't get them anywhere, though. Because nobody admits to handing them out, and none of them recall getting any.
2: Well, there were only five, right? (laughs) Ronald got all of them.
1: That's how it would appear. But anyway, they just thought maybe they could, you know, maybe... Maybe other big pixie sticks were handed out, and they weren't poisoned the kids started eating them. I don't know. They just figured that they would ask the neighbors. But it doesn't matter, because Ronald does actually finally remember the house that he got the pixie sticks from. Good. And so, of course, he leads them right there. And it's Courtney Melvin's home. So, Ronald remembers... That after the kids ran off, the door opened and a man's arm reached out and handed him five pixie sticks. He doesn't remember seeing the man's face at all, but he's certain that that's how she got them it from. It's kind of creepy. So, first of all, if I'm trick or treating with my kids and a door opens and only an arm comes out with candy, I'm not taking the candy.
2: No. That's weird. That's really weird. Not happening.
1: I know some houses, you know, we go trick-or-treating with my kids every year. Some houses try to be funny and, like, scare them, which, okay, cool, but, like, that's creepy. Creepy AF. Yes,
2: very. I'm not taking that candy. You know, honestly, I think trick-or-treating in general is pretty creepy.
1: It really is. I actually was thinking that after I, like, was doing this, and I was like, why do we even do it?
2: No, it's creepy. You go to strangers' houses and get candy from them. Mm-hmm. We don't take candy from strangers. Like, that's, like, kidnapping 101. Only on Halloween. It's the only time it's allowed.
1: It's the only time it's acceptable to go to a stranger's house and get candy from a stranger.
2: Yeah, I agree. And then also, like, your home opening the door to strangers. hmm Which is also something we don't do.
1: No, I agree. Halloween is just a wild time.
2: Yeah, it is. It doesn't really make sense.
1: Am I still going to take my kids trick-or-treating on, on today since it's the 31st of October? <laughs>
2: yes, yes, I am. But you're going to check all their candy for cyanide. And That's
1: literally the last sentence of my podcast. Oh my Stop god. Stop stealing I'm my so show. Sorry.
2: Quit being so predictable. I don't know what to tell you.
1: <laughs> You're an asshole. Anyway. So please speak with Mr. Melvin. He was at work on Halloween night until eleven PM. So only his wife and daughter were home. So unless his wife was having an affair, there's no man no way a man's arm came out of that house. Is what Mr. Melvin's is saying. So his wife said that she ran out of candy fairly early, and therefore she shut the light off and didn't answer the door for the remainder of the night. Tons of people are able to corroborate this story. Uh, According, like, depending on the source, it was like 200 plus people that could, like, verify his alibi and corroborate that this house did not open their door for the rest of the night.
2: I mean, how could they say that the house did not open the door at all? Did they have 200 of the closest friends at their house?
1: No, I think that they're just saying, like, the whole neighborhood was like, yeah, no, that house didn't give us any candy. Okay. Like, after a specific time. Like, I think she said she ran out of candy at, like, 8 p.m. or so. I don't remember when she said, but, like, she ran out of candy super early, she said, and didn't open the door for the rest of the night. And most of the neighborhood was like, yeah, no, didn't get any candy from that house. And also, there was a ton of people that, like, could verify that, like, he was at work, he wasn't home.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I get the working at home, but, like, they couldn't say that they didn't open their door. I think that they just... A majority of the neighborhood said they didn't get any candy from that house. Okay. That makes sense.
1: So like based off of the timeline. Like I think the neighborhood, they were like, Oh yeah, like we trick-or-treated there at six o'clock and got candy. And then there's like a specific time point that like nobody else was able to get candy from that house. Okay. So I think that was it doesn't matter. Why I gotta poke holes in my story?
2: I'm not poking holes in your story. I mean, it's not your story.
1: So anyway, none of the other neighbors had gotten candy from the Melvin's home. And Mr. Melvin's place of employment does verify that he was at work all night. He was, uh, like, an air traffic controller at the airport. Fancy. So, couldn't really have not been there. If he wasn't there, there would have been nobody, you know, like, controlling the plane's landing. Yeah, someone's got to do that. Yeah, so anyway. um, On November 2nd, 1994, just three days after Timothy's untimely passing, uh, friends and family attend Timothy's service, where his father sings a solo and exclaims that he is at peace knowing that Timothy is in heaven. Uh, The police don't have any other leads at this point, and it seems that they may never figure out who tried to poison these five children. They do, however, get a break in the case when an insurance agent contacts the Pasadena police on November 4th of 1974. He tells them that on October 3rd, Ronald Clark O'Brien purchased a life insurance policy for each of his children, Timothy and Elizabeth. That's sketchy. Yeah, so the policies were for $20,000 each. That's not very much money. So, I agree. It's not very much money, but I adjusted it for inflation. Okay. I'm not saying that this is okay, but I agree. Initially, I was like, $20,000? You absolute piece of trash. He's still a piece of trash, but. Adjusted for inflation, $20,000 in 1974 would be equivalent to $120,408.92 today.
2: Okay, so a little bit more money, but still a trash bag.
1: No, still a trash bag, but I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good chunk of change.
2: Okay. Um, but
1: yeah, I read that was like, $20,000? What the hell is wrong with you? I mean, no amount of money you should kill your children. But I was like, you could have at least got a decent freaking life insurance policy, you piece of shit. Hmm. But apparently in 1974 it was. So anyway, Ronald paid cash to start these life insurance policies. Um, he made sure that his wife, Danine, would not need to sign off on the policy. And she also wouldn't need to sign sign off on the payout. The insurance agent told police that he suggested a more appropriate policy for the children. So while this alternate policy would not have paid out as much money in the event of the children's death, um, what it would have done is at the end of the policy, it would have rolled over to a $25,000 cash fund that the kids could have used for college or anything really. And that that would happen once the children turned 23. So that's more standard of, like, the kind of life insurance policy you get for children. Essentially, like, if they are to pass on, you know, in an untimely manner, then it's, like, just enough to cover a funeral. But if they make it to the age of 23, then they get, like, a big, you know, sum of money. So
2: Yeah, that's kind of, I could see why someone would do that, maybe. Yes, yes.
1: So Ronald declined that policy, though, and he stuck with the higher death payout that he originally wanted. Um, Upon investigating this lead... Police also find that Ronald had taken out another life insurance policy on Timothy and Elizabeth earlier that same year. So in January of 1974, he had taken out a policy for each of the children for $10,000 each. So essentially, he had $30,000 for each child in life insurance between the two policies, which would have totaled $60,000 for them both.
2: Well, and then also, that's like, what, $150,000 each in today's money?
1: Yeah, it ends up, I adjusted that for inflation too, but then I decided it wasn't necessary. But it ended up being like $350,000 between the two for both of them.
2: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So now the police have this evidence, they start to dig deeper into Ronald. Uh, They soon discover that Ronald is about $100,000 in debt. He's defaulted on several loans, and he's on the verge of having his car repossessed. So they also discover that Ronald has wasted no time at all contacting both of those life insurance companies and requesting payout on Timothy's policies. Uh, In fact, he called them on November 1st. So the day after Timothy died, he immediately tried to get that money.
2: So sounds like a loving father.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know because I've never um, had one of my children. God forbid that that would ever happen. But I think it would take me more than a day to like get myself in order to collect their money.
2: You would think. But
1: no, Ronald was ready for it the next day.
2: We have never been in that situation. So
1: no. Uh, So now they're certain that Ronald was most likely the person who poisoned Timothy and attempted to poison four other children. They discover that Ronald had tried to get cyanide on numerous occasions over the past few months. Uh, It's confirmed that he tried to get cyanide from his place of work.
2: He was an optician. What do they use cyanide for? They don't.
1: I mean, an optician. He wasn't even an ophthalmologist. Like, he was an optician. That means he just, like, made glasses.
2: Right, because, like, aren't the two types of doctors, like, optometrist and ophthalmologist?
1: I mean, I believe so. An optician just, like, makes the glasses, I'm pretty sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Even if he's
1: an ophthalmologist or an optician, not an optician, an ophthalmologist or an op... What did we say?
2: Optometrist.
1: Whatever. Even if he's an optometrist or an ophthalmologist, he still... They're probably not he's using still- cyanide. Right! But he thought he could get cyanide from his place of work. I'm not really sure what the hell he thought, like, why the hell he thought they were going to give him cyanide, but whatever. Um, he also contacted a chemical supply company sales rep about cyanide at the very beginning of October. It was also discovered that oh, hold on, let me back up. So that sales rep, they did end up speaking with him and he recalls speaking with Ronald and he remembers that Ronald was very excited when he found out that he only had to buy 5 pounds of cyanide, like that was the minimum was 5 pounds. So apparently that was good news. Um, it was also discovered that while Ronald was taking a college class, he had badgered his chemistry professor about cyanide. And he had questioned him on the amounts that would be needed to kill animals based off of their size. Okay. So with this information, they search Ronald's home where they find the remnants of the pixie sticks. Like where they've been cut open. They find the tops of them, whatever, you know. Um, so this confirms that he'd opened them at his house, filled the top two inches. With cyanide. That's a lot of cyanide. Two inches of that
2: pixie stick. Yeah, that's a lot of cyanide. I mean, I'm not well-versed in cyanides. I don't know how much you need to kill someone, but that seems like a lot. I agree. And also,
1: he filled the top two inches of the pixie stick with cyanide. I'm not trying to give anyone advice here, but why the hell wouldn't you dump the contents of the pixie stick, mix the cyanide in, and then put it back in? Right. That would make more sense. Why would you just fill the top two inches? That's why Timothy thought it was so bitter. Well,
2: it didn't matter because he ate it anyways.
1: I mean, he didn't, though. It was so bitter, like, I think he stopped. And that's why I gave him kool because he was like, oh, this is gross.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: I don't know. Anyway, he filled the top two inches with cyanide and then he resealed the Pixie Sticks. So with this evidence, Ronald Clark O'Brien's arrested on November 5th, 1974. So just five days after his son's murder. He's charged with capital murder as well as four counts of attempted murder. Ronald claimed his innocence through his trial, but after just 45 minutes of deliberation, the jury returned a guilty verdict.
2: Oh, wow. I think that's the quickest I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. So it took 45 minutes for them to come back guilty, and it took 75 minutes for them to come back with the death penalty. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And this case, unlike others, just wait. He remained on death row at OBLS Ellis Unit until March 31st of 1984, when he was finally executed by lethal injection. So he was actually executed.
2: Well, that only, took like, 10 years? Yeah. So
1: apparently they scheduled his um, execution multiple times and it kept getting like delayed and postponed because his defense attorneys would, you know, petition and appeal and blah, 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 blah. So they originally had it scheduled, whatever, a few years later, and then it got delayed. Then they scheduled it again, got delayed. And then finally it went before a judge and he scheduled the execution for October 31st of 1982, so eight years after Timothy's murder, on the anniversary of Timothy's murder, and he said, "If you have trouble getting there, I'll drive you myself." <laughs> so that judge was no joke. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: How fitting, though. October 31st.
1: Yeah, it would have been fitting, but no, it was March 31st of 1984 is when he was actually finally executed. Uh, Ronald maintained his innocence until the bitter end. These were his last words. What is about to transpire in a few moments is wrong. However, we as human beings who do make mistakes and errors, the, this execution is one of those wrongs, yet doesn't mean our whole system of justice is wrong. Therefore, I would forgive all of you who have taken part in any way in my death. Also, to anyone I've offended in any way in my 39 years, I pray and ask for your forgiveness. Just as I forgive anyone who's offended me in any way, And I pray and ask God's forgiveness for all of us, respectively, as human beings. To my loved ones, I extend my undying love. To those close to me, know in your hearts I love you, one and all. God bless you all, and may God's blessings be always yours. Ugh. So, he's just a freaking trash bag, dude. Like, he didn't even apologize for killing his son. He has no remorse whatsoever.
2: And he wasn't only going to kill his son. He was going to kill four other kids. He was
1: going to kill his son, his daughter, and then three kids who he had no relationship to. Yeah. Because his entire plan was just to blame this neighbor who he didn't even know. Right. And, like, what if that had worked? What if Courtney Melvin didn't have an alibi? Right. He would have, I mean, put him behind prison or put him behind prison, put him behind bars for the rest of his life. Most likely had him executed. Right. Like, thank goodness that Courtney Melvin's had an actual solid alibi. Right. Like, what if he had been, I don't know, like, what if he had been home watching a movie? Right, that's what I do on Halloween. I try not to go anywhere. Right. And, like, this piece of trash was going to
2: implicate Courtney Melvins as the murderer and kill five children. Yeah, I don't understand. And, like, okay, I don't agree, but, like, his own kids he's trying to get the money for. But, like, what do those other three kids have to do with anything? Because
1: he was trying to make it look like it was poisoned Halloween candy. If it was just his kids, then they would have immediately come and been suspicious of him.
2: Yeah, but it was four kids that were trick-or-treating together, and then one at random. Right. Right. So I don't think he was a very smart man.
1: I mean, you would think that he would have just, like, mixed the poison candy into, like, the bowl they were giving out at the Bates house, right? Right. That would have made more sense. I'm just disturbed by his words, because, like, he didn't one time, like, take responsibility. No. And there's not a shadow of doubt in my mind that this man
2: did it. Yeah. I mean, who else would have?
1: There's sometimes when I, you know, question it. But, like, this dude didn't. He took out life insurance on his kids. He tried to kill his two kids. He is the one that came up with these pixie sticks from this supposedly dark house. Like, he did it. Right. And he didn't even apologize. Like, I'm a piece of trash. I killed my son. Like, no, he's like, I forgive you for killing me. Like, screw you. Yeah. You're a trash bag. So anyway, it's reported that during Ronald Clark O'Brien's execution that 300 people showed up at the courthouse, which also pretty crazy because they executed him shortly after midnight. So that means that these people like came out in the middle of the night to be there when they executed this man. It's pretty crazy. It is crazy. And it's also reported that many of them chanted trick or treat while throwing candy at the anti-death sentence protesters who were demonstrating outside of the jail that night. Hmm. So, yeah
2: pretty crazy case
1: yeah it is so that's the man that killed halloween yeah and um it's thanks to him that i'm now an overly paranoid mutter mutter <laughs> <laughs> father and mutter <laughs> uh anyway it's thanks to him that i'm an overly paranoid mother who now checks each and every piece of my children's halloween candy to make sure that none of it's been opened and tampered with
2: right i remember like as a kid like i was like Ugh, so ridiculous mother And now I'm like, good job, mom. Thanks.
1: Yeah. And now I have children and I'm like, let me have all that candy. And we're like walking from house to house and I'm like, do not eat that candy. Spit it out. Like, because they try to eat it, you know, as we're walking.
0: I'm like, no. Right. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what Hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. That was a pretty good Halloween case.
1: It was. Now bring it. What you got? Let's go. I'm ready. Right at My socks knocked off.
2: I don't think it's going to be yours, but we'll see. Okay. okay, so mine also takes place on October 31st. However, the year is 1957 in Sun Valley, California. Ooh. So Peter Fabiano and his wife, Betty Fabiano, have spent Halloween night passing out candy to the neighborhood kids. When it started to get late and there hadn't really been any trick-or-treaters in a while, the Fabianos put their candy away, shut off their porch light, and went to bed. Around 11 p.m., there was a knock on the door. Peter was pretty annoyed, but he got out of bed, got the bowl of candy, and answered the door. There was a trick-or-treater on the doorstep, but they seemed to be a little older, a little taller than the normal audience of trick-or-treaters. So Peter asked, it's a little late for this, isn't it? They responded, no. Held up a paper bag for him to put the candy in, and through the paper bag, the trick-or-treater shot him. Ooh, what the fuck? Yep. Yeah. So his wife, Betty, ran downstairs and found her husband at the front door lying in a pool of blood. Their daughter, Judy, was awakened by this commotion and came downstairs to see her stepfather dead and her mother with him grieving. She ran next door to their neighbor, who also happened to be a cop, and he called the Valley Police Department. They arrived in just minutes, and Peter was taken to the local hospital where he soon died from his injuries.
1: Ugh. What the hell is wrong with people? Yeah, well, they suck that's so why this is what i'm saying like you said why do we open our door to strangers on halloween yeah, i don't
2: get it especially like the light was off he was going to bed like, ignore right. them and continue in bed
1: yeah he should have ignored them i don't know why he answered
2: so he died from a 38 caliber gunshot wound to the chest and there was absolutely no evidence left at the scene the police questioned betty and judy since they were the only witnesses Judy says that she was sleeping and didn't see or hear anything other than the gunshot and her mother crying. Betty says that she was upstairs in bed. She was awake, but she didn't see anything. She just heard two voices. One was masculine, which was most likely Peter, and the other one was odd. She said it kind of sounded like a man pretending to be a woman. She said that she then heard tires squealing like a car was speeding away. So, normally, they start with the spouse, but it doesn't really seem like the question buddy in any suspicious way, only to gain more information on what actually happened. Well, was she not inside the house? Yes. But, you know. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. What do you mean? You are like, yes! (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I just said it like normal. Like, yes. She was inside the house. I think you said it frustrated. No, I wasn't frustrated at all. Okay, I just wondered if she was actually inside of that. Yeah, she was inside the house in bed. She was in fact so. Okay, she wasn't a suspect for them. She was inside the house, and also like it was the fifties. I don't think they thought women could do those evil things. They were just sweet little housewives. I, I feel like it wasn't until like the two
1: thousands until they thought women were capable of these things. Honestly, right? Like the amount of women that just like walked in like the seventies, eighties, and even nineties, or like that they were like shocked to find out that we're capable of murder, right?
2: Like, sometimes women suck, too. So, you know, people in general suck. A lot of times women suck. Sometimes I suck. I mean. Most of the time you suck. That was rude. (laughs) I was just kidding. I love you. Anyways, back to the Fabianos. So, the police canvassed the neighborhood. There was one other witness, a 15-year-old boy. He says that he didn't see the actual murderer, but he did see a car leaving the neighborhood around the time of the shooting, and they seemed to be in a hurry. But that's all he saw. So, shortly after the murder, The Independent, which was, or it still is, a newspaper, released an article that compared the manner of Peter's death to gang assassinations. So, the police investigated this theory, but it didn't make a lot of sense. Peter had a very minimal record. His only charge was in 1948. It was a misdemeanor charge for working as a bookie. Other than that, he was completely clean. So it just didn't really seem plausible that he would be involved in gangs without having any other past medical history. (laughs) Past criminal activity. They looked more into Peter's life. Peter was an ex-Marine, and in the 40s, he and Betty got married. They were the picture-perfect couple. They are both in their mid-30s and had two children, both from Betty's previous marriage. They started their lives together in New York, where Peter was a truck driver But they recently moved to Los Angeles for Peter to open a beauty salon, which is quite a change in careers. He goes from the Marine to truck driver to beauty salon. I just thought that was funny. Yes. Yeah, I like that, though. I do. So, he was the owner and operator of two successful beauty salons. So, there's nothing about his life that really brought any red flags. Right. They questioned Betty if she knew of any gang activity or anyone who would want to harm Peter. She denied the gang claims, but did say that they did have a family friend who seemed to have it out for Peter. Her name was Joan Rabel. So the police immediately questioned her, but there was no evidence against her, and she stated that she was at home all night that night. Um, Nothing really against her, so she was released. Earlier that year, Joan came to Peter's salon looking for a job as a receptionist. She was a writer and a photographer and recently divorced. Peter gave her a job to get her back on her feet, and... Joan and Betty had quickly became very close friends. She was welcomed into the Fabiana family. Shortly after, Betty and Peter's marriage hit a rough patch that year, and Betty ended up moving in with Joan while they were separated. There's not a lot found on the relationship between the women, but one news article in the Los Angeles Times describes their relationship as abnormal, which was code for... They were, they
1: were in love, weren't they?
2: They were in love. That was code word for being in love in the 50s. Abnormal. Okay. So Peter was very insecure and uncomfortable with the closeness of their relationship. A few months later... I would be too. Well, yeah, I would be too if my spouse... I would 100% be
1: uncomfortable if my husband and I got separated and he moved in with another person and they were in love. Yes.
2: And then we got back together.
1: I would forbid him from seeing them ever again.
2: So that's exactly what Peter does. A few months later, Peter and Betty got back together. Betty told Peter about their relationship that she'd been having with Joan, and he insisted that Betty had to promise that she would have no contact with Joan. I don't blame Peter at all. Um, It does look like— Exactly what I would do. Yes, me too. It does look like, though, that Joan continued to work at his salon. She just wasn't—so she could still talk to Peter. She just wasn't allowed to talk to Betty. So there was really nothing else to go off of in the case. There was no physical evidence, no fingerprints, no bullet casing, no witnesses, nothing. The case was stagnant for a couple of weeks until a tip came in about a suspicious retail locker in Bullock's department store. Mm -hmm. So I looked into this locker situation, a little confusing. Okay. So the general consensus seems that department stores rented out lockers for short-term storage. That's weird. Yeah. So Bullock's department store was like a pretty big store. It was a luxury department store. They sold like perfume, clothes, shoes, toys, pet accessories, etc. Lots of things. Like like a Kohl's, or like a Belk? Yeah, like a but it was like luxury, so it was like fancy brands. Dillard's. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was like a really high class Belk.
1: Macy's. Yeah, kind of.
2: Okay. Except they sold like everything.
1: Where did Rachel Green work in Friends?
2: I don't know, but that's what I'm picturing here.
1: Yes. Uh, Bloomingdale's. Yes. That's that random knowledge I just keep stored in my brain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm picturing here. Okay. I'm not really sure. Okay. But anyways. So on the top floor, there was a tea room and a lounge where society women would gather and attend fashion shows. There was a separate area for socially important men to hang out. Sounds like a store I want to be a part of. <laughs> yeah. The store was 350,000 square feet at its opening in 1907. And definitely it, want to be a part of that. Yeah. When it closed in 1983, it was 806 square feet. So I'm not really sure like, exactly what size it was in 1957, but somewhere between 350 and 806.
1: And to me, that's a big-ass store. I mean, how big is a Walmart? That's my next line. So in
2: comparison... Oh, perfect. I'm so glad that I'm ruining your case just like <laughs> you ruined mine. Don't be, don't be so predictable, Ashley. So in comparison, a Belk store, which would be a present-day department store, are about fifty to eighty thousand square feet. Yeah, Walmart. That's huge. So it'd be like a whole mall. Almost, yeah. So Walmarts are about hundred and seventy thousand square feet. And the yeah, Walmarts are pretty big stores. So
1: yeah, I mean like a super center, I'm assuming, not like a neighborhood Walmart. Right, yeah. No super center. So like oh. two Walmarts.
2: Yeah. Two, three, four. Yeah. I mean two for
1: the three hundred and whatever. Right. Four. I mean, for like the 800. five for the eight hundred. Yeah. Okay.
2: So either that's way. Pretty big store. So, supposedly, they rented out these storage lockers. So, I'm thinking maybe it was because, like, it was so big of a place and you shopped a lot. Maybe, like, you put your stuff in the locker while you shopped. Yeah. So, Mall of America has those. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, like, amusement parks have those. Right. So, like... I could see that. When I went to Mall of America, I didn't use it for shopping. I didn't go on a crazy shopping spree. But, like, we got there in the morning after I'd already been on vacation on the last day of the vacation to Minnesota. We went to Mall of America. We dropped our luggage off in a storage locker and then like shopped around the mall and like picked up our luggage up on the plane.
1: I mean, that makes total sense. Well, was this like a one and done kind of store? Like, is this the only one in the country?
2: No, there was like seven of them, but it was the first one. Okay. And it was in New York, right? You said? Los Angeles.
1: Oh, just kidding. Where the fuck did I get in New York? (laughs) Rachel Green. Maybe. I heard you say like Sunnyville or whatever, California. Sun Valley. Sun Valley. There you go. Okay, that makes sense, though. I mean, I was just thinking, like, was it, like, a touristy destination kind of place? Like, was it somewhere where people would need to store their luggage?
2: I mean, maybe. Yeah. But also, people weren't, like, that. flying, were they? It was the 50s.
1: Okay, people were flying in the
2: 50s. I mean, but, like, was it normal for people to fly in the 50s?
1: I don't see why not.
2: I don't know. It just seems like that was a very long time ago.
1: I don't think it was that long ago. The airplane was invented in 1903.
2: Okay, but, like, was it normal for people to just, like, <laughs> hop in a plane and have a vacation? Like... I feel like only, like, the super rich people went on airplanes for vacations. Nope. I don't know. I can't see, like, the Brady Bunch getting on an airplane. They
1: did. They went to Hawaii.
2: Okay, well, you know what? I'm wrong. So, I'm wrong about a lot of things. So, I guess this is just one of them. When? Okay, but, like, I was just trying to think.
1: The Charlotte Douglas International Airport used to have, like, a different airport. hmm Yeah, it was established in 1935.
2: Okay, well, whatever. So, yeah.
1: I think flying was, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 50s. Let's ask Granny. She never went on an airplane. We don't need that training. (laughs) Right. I don't know if flying was, like, prominent in the 50s, but it was definitely, I mean, airplanes were invented in 1903. They'd come a long way by 1950, whatever.
2: Right. Okay. Well, either way, storage lockers were rented. So, someone called in a suspicious tip about a storage locker there. So, they searched the storage locker, and they found a thirty-eight caliber gun, which was the same type of gun used to shoot Peter.
1: I just want to hold on one second. I just did a quick su- search for 1950s airlines, and let me just tell you, the airlines in the 1950s were wild. They're giving out full-ass a- full hot fudge sundays on planes. Now you're lucky if you full get a meals. cracker. This is like a freaking prime rib. I shit you not. <laughs> These people are eating like a prime rib on the airplane. That's what I'm
2: telling you. Like, I feel like it was for fancy people. There's a,
1: a full chef with a chef hat on this airplane. Giving out Prime Rip.
2: Like Joe Schmo from down the road. I don't feel like he's flying. This one looks like Eggs Benedict. Oh, fancy. The 50s were a
1: time to be alive, let me tell you. Yeah, maybe. Um, in the 1950s, uh, average ticket for an average round trip airline ticket was $138.
2: Yeah, and what is that in today's money?
1: Adjusted for inflation, that's about 1100 bucks a ticket. Yeah. So you're right. There probably weren't a lot of people flying, but the people that were flying were having a good
2: time. (laughs) That is true. That is true.
1: I mean, that was definitely a prime rip. I'm kidding. I'm not even kidding. And a hot fudge sundae for dessert and eggs benedict for breakfast.
2: Airplanes in the 50s had all of that five course meals. Airplanes now, you fly on Allegiant and you're allowed a book bag and you don't even get water or a snack. You have to pay for those things. You have to pay for a carry on.
1: Okay, continue. Okay. We're done with the airlines. I'll get off of that Google search because the food is just making me
2: also horny. What is wrong with you? <laughs> the food is making me hungry. Okay, there you go. Better. Anyway, so they found the gun, thirty-eight caliber. They did ballistic testing on it, and it matched the gun used to kill Peter. The locker was rented by a woman named Goldine Pizer.
1: That's weird. I thought it was going to belong to Betty's lo- uh, lover.
2: No, it was not. Goldine Pizer. Okay. So police tracked her down and brought her in for questioning. Goldine confessed immediately. To shooting and killing Peter Fabiana. Really? Yep. Why? She was relieved that she no longer had to carry that secret. What? Yes, yeah, so, I'll um, I'll get it. We didn't.
1: Okay, we don't even know who this woman is.
2: I I know. I was fully
1: fully ready for it to be Betty's
2: lover. It's not. So, she was arrested. Is it Betty's lover's lover? She was arrested on November 12th, 1957. (laughs) Okay, so, also in 1957. Everything in this story all occurs in 1957. So, this is a wild 10 months. Okay. So, all within 10 months. That just seems very bananas to me in all of these events that are going to occur. B A N A N A S. Yes. So, right after Betty and Peter got back together, Joan, heartbroken, finds a new friend, Goldine. Okay. They also quickly became very close. They were both divorcees and had a lot in common. It was r- rumored that these women were also in a romantic relationship. There's no proof that any of these three women were actually gay, it's just rumors. Okay. Articles published by newspapers made this claim. So take it all with a grain of salt. That's okay. what they say. But it is confirmed that they are friends. They're all very good friends. So Goldine describes them as having a coffee clatch friendship, which basically means that they get together to drink coffee and gossip. So I think that sounds like a dream friendship, personally, I'm sitting around drinking coffee and gossiping, but. Same. So during these hangouts, they would often discuss Joan's horrible boss, Peter, and his wife, Betty, who Joan described as a victim. Joan would tell her how evil and awful Peter was to not only her, but to his wife, Betty, and her kids. Joan would tell her about how Betty had once been one of her very good friends until Peter took her away from her. Um, She wasn't allowed to see her anymore, and it was all Peter's fault. She says that Betty told her that during their friendship, Peter had a darker side. He was controlling and abusive, and that's why she left him in the first place. Joan just wanted nothing more than to save her dear friend Betty from evil Peter. So within three months, Joan convinced Goldine how awful Peter was, and that she needed her help to get rid of him. So Joan hatched a plan to get rid of Peter for good, but she needed Goldine to carry it out. She supplied the money for Goldine to buy the 38 Galliper, Caliper Smith and Wesson. She bought it from a local shop and stated that it was for personal protection since she was an unmarried woman. She needed that. Together, they stocked the Fabianos so Goldine would become familiar with them. Joan borrowed a car from her neighbor, and her and Goldine went to the Fabianos and waited for the perfect time on Halloween night. Once all the trick-or-treaters had stopped and the Fabianos went to bed. Goldine went to the door, dressed up in a Halloween costume, and shot Peter. She ran back to the car, and Joan simply said, Thank you, and gave her a kiss. She was then the getaway driver and sped away. Joan dropped Goldine off at her home, and once she was out of the car, she said, Forget you ever knew me. What? What a douchebag.
1: She said, Shoot this man for me, and then told her, Forget you ever knew me? Yeah. Piece of trash.
2: Right. What? So here is sweet little Goldine trying to. Help Joan and her friend Betty. Well, Joan's friend okay, Betty.
1: How sweet is and She just shot a man. Well. Threw a paperback.
2: Not sweet. But she thought she was being doing the good, the right thing. The good thing. Okay.
1: I never in my life have I ever thought like I should shoot someone for a love of mine. So, no.
2: No. I mean, me either. But what a low blow to Goldine, though. For sure. She's like, hey, do my dirty work. Nice knowing you. Bye. Right. Yeah. So she sucks. Joan sucks. Um, yeah. So the next day, Goldine still had the gun and she didn't know what to do with it. So she ran a locker from Bullock's department store and left it there. With Goldine's retelling of these events, she was arrested for the murder of Peter Fabiano and Joan was arrested shortly after. Both women pled not guilty. Joan insisted that she had nothing to do with the whole murder. It was all Goldine. She didn't know anything about it. She did it all. She just threw her right under the bus and said, nope. Right. Because why would she do that? She didn't even know Peter. Right. So she made it sound that like Goldine was like jealous. That's why like she killed Peter, which doesn't really make sense to me either. Because her being jealous, like why would she kill Peter? Why would she not kill Betty? Right.
1: Right. So, If anything, killing Peter just made it easier for Betty and Joan to be the other. Right. So that doesn't even make sense. Joan's an idiot. Yeah. So Goldine pleaded. She better get charged with something.
2: <laughs> she does. Good. So Goldine pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. She says that Joan made her do it and that she cast some sort of a spell over her that she couldn't resist. During a psych evaluation, she said, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced and I have been impressionable and always trusting. After hearing this the psychiatrist wrote the only thought she had was that she had saved her friend Joan Rabel from an evil person. So these take It didn't work. They didn't get reason of insanity. So during the well I don't think she was insane. Well, no, but that's what she says. That it was all no. that she was under a spell.
1: So we've got another witch on our hands, got it.
2: <laughs> Doesn't say that, but yeah. I mean, I don't think that like she was under a spell. I definitely think Joan talked her into doing it, but she had her own free will there. She chose to do it. 100%. So, during the court hearings, Goldine was seen weeping and generally remorseful. Joan was stone-faced and would often smile. Both women ended up taking a plea deal and got five years to life. That's a pretty big difference. Right? Five years to life. You might get out in five years. You might get out in ten years. You might get out in 65 years. I don't know. We'll, we'll play it by you. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, that's a pretty big uh, difference there. So I couldn't find really anything to tell how long they actually served. But at some point, they both got out. There's not much about either of their lives after prison. It just seems that they both kind of just disappeared.
1: I mean, I think after being like convicted of murder and being in prison, it's best to fly under the radar.
2: I mean, probably.
1: I try to fly under the radar, and I've never been convicted of anything like that. No. I've never been convicted of anything. I mean, like traffic tickets, but yeah, I try to just under the radar. Yeah. I do my best not to draw attention to myself.
2: Yeah. Ever. So Betty ended up selling Peter's salons and got remarried. But other than that, there's not a lot about her either. However, most people believe that Betty was involved in the murder. They believe that her and Joan conspired together to be together. And that's why they got Goldine to kill Peter. But why, though? Like, she
1: had just gotten back with Peter. Why would she get back with Peter just to, like, kill him? I don't know. Why would she not just stay separated from him? It was the 50s. She was probably getting alimony. Like, that doesn't even make sense.
2: Well, I mean, also, it was only in 10 months, so she probably wasn't getting alimony. From the time they met Joan to the time Peter was killed was 10 months. The whole was story pretty wild 10 took months. place in 10
1: months. Yeah, that's pretty crazy.
2: I mean, it doesn't say, like, exactly when she started working there, but it said in 1957. So sometime between mm-hmm. January and then October 31st.
1: Yeah, that's just pretty crazy. I don't know why you put yourself down like that. That was a pretty crazy Halloween story.
2: I don't know. I just didn't think it was quite as good as cyanide poisoning.
1: Shot through a paper bag? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, that's freaking nuts. Are you I'm done? Su- yeah, I'm
2: done. I'm surprised you've never heard that one before, though. I feel like it's a pretty normal Halloween true crime.
1: I mean, I've heard, like, Halloween, like, people knocking at your door and shooting you through a paper bag, but I've never specifically heard that, no.
2: Uh, so I did some more research
1: on flying in the 50s. Oh gosh. <laughs> Listen to this. This is crazy. Uh, turbulence in the 50s could snap your neck. I believe that. That's so crazy. But anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter.
2: No. The flying was a very... I mean, actually had nothing to do with the case at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're really hung up on the flying.
1: Not a single person took an airplane in the whole case, but I'm really hung up on it. All right. So case is over. We're done with those. Um, You want to take some questions from the Discord? Ooh, our one whole question. We got one question in the Discord. First time ever. That is a real question and not just like me and you being jerks or your husband.
2: What is this podcast?
1: (laughs) Are you ready? Do you have your question? Do you have your answer ready? I think so. All right. Brandit929 wants to know, what made you decide to start your own true crime podcast? I might mention that I am so grateful you
2: did. Okay, so I'm going to answer first. So first of all, we're grateful that you love our podcast. Yes. Um, Second of all, what made me decide to start my own true crime podcast? Well, Sierra called me one day and said, hey, Ashley, we're starting a true crime podcast. And what I've been doing for the last 26 years, I've been bossed around by Sierra. And I said, okay. And so here we are. I don't think that that's a fair answer. That is a fair answer. That's what happened.
1: We talked about it. And I was like, man, I just really wish we could start a podcast because, like, I love listening to podcasts and I just really want to do our own. Like, I think it'd be lots of fun. It'd be something we could do together. We'd have a great time. You're like, yeah, for sure. But, like, I don't even know where we would get started. And it seems like a lot of work. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And then, I don't know, I just got a wild hair one day and I called you up and I was like, Ashley, we're doing it. We're starting a podcast. I'll do all the research to figure out how to do it. I just need you to show up and, like, do your own cases. Like, that's all I need from you. And you were like, okay, let's do it.
2: So yeah, I was bossed around by Sierra.
1: Oh my God, whatever. Well, my, why I wanted to start, sh- or what made us do it, I guess. I mean, I really can't give like a solid answer of like what moment made me decide it. Like we talked about it for a while.
2: Yeah, we did. I think it's just our love of podcasts. Like I listen to a podcast every day on my drive to work. Like that's why I enjoy spending time in the car.
1: I listen to podcasts while I'm cleaning my house. Um, That's essentially it. So- I'm just in a cycle where I clean I clean nonstop, but like nothing gets clean. (laughs) And I listen to podcasts (laughs) while I do that. Even though no one in my life thinks I clean. They all just think my house is a disaster. But I do, I can promise you, I do clean my house. It just doesn't, nothing ever gets done.
2: So anyways, we listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, for sure.
1: No, we listen to a lot of podcasts. And also, I mean, I would like to think that like my love for broadcasting. Yeah. I mean, I know that none of you care, but like my first major in college was broadcasting and production technologies. And I do love it. Like, it is something that I am very passionate about. It just wasn't something that I saw a future in.
2: I cannot say the same. I mean, I think, like... You don't see a... No, I mean, I can't say that I love broadcasting.
1: Oh, no. I feel like Ashley hates doing the podcast.
2: I don't hate it. I'm a lot better now. We're on, what, episode, like, 16? 17? Mm -hmm. 14? No,
1: this one will be the... This will be episode 19. We've already recorded episode 20. And then we're going to record episode 21.
2: Okay, well, either way, I've lost track of time, Clearly. But um, I definitely think, like, you can really tell a difference. Like, from the first podcast till now, like, the first podcast, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to say. This is awful. My anxiety is on the ceiling. I want to throw up.
1: You're still super awkward.
2: I mean, I'm just awkward. Me too.
1: So. I feel like we're both awkward, and I think that's what makes us so lovable. I like to think people like us.
2: I mean. I don't know. We have, what, nine patrons, so they love us.
1: We only have eight. One of them's me. Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but either way eight people like us and one of them's our dad <laughs> he has to like us but i don't know i mean i think yeah i think it's really just a way for us to like have fun yeah. and um spend time together because i'm kind of um obsessed with ashley it's kind of creepy i want her to spend every waking moment with me it's kind of stalkery i don't do well with rejection so if she doesn't want to talk to me then i feel unloved
2: <laughs>
1: that i true. call her 97 times a day that is true <laughs> That's not true. I don't call you when you're working. Okay, but you're kind of obsessed with me, too. You called me twice today.
2: Uh, I think I only called you once.
1: No, you didn't. You actually called me three times, if you want to get technical.
2: Why did I call you three times?
1: You called me once, and I didn't answer you because I was on my way back from the store. And then you called me again as soon as I got home, and I answered. And then my phone died, and then you called me a third time.
2: Okay, but I called you
1: the third time. So you're equally obsessed with me. Just admit it. No.
2: called you the third time Yeah. because your phone died, so I was calling you back. And if I didn't call you on my way home from work, you would think I was mad at you. So I have to call you. I already
1: thought you were mad at me because I pinched your neck last night when you tried <laughs> to choke me with a pickle.
2: <laughs> I was mad because you didn't apologize. But you apologized and so now I'm over it. Anyway, that's yeah. the story of Nothing
1: how we started fun. the podcast. I mean, I think that's why. I think we just wanted to have fun together. And also, I have a boring life. As do I. It's exciting for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, I don't know. I just needed something exciting. I needed something that was for me. That's what it was, really. Yeah. I need something that was mine to take my identity back. I've been a mom for almost 10 years, and that's just who I've become. And I wanted something that made me feel fulfilled. Anyways, all right. Well, that's all we got for this week. So I hope you guys have a fabulous Halloween. Ooh. Night.
2: Don't get. Stay safe out there. Drugged or shot, please.
1: No, please don't. Please stay safe out there, like for real, because Halloween kind of is a terrifying holiday.
2: It really is. I think we should normalize not doing it.
1: Uh, take that up with my kids, because they're ready.
2: But, you know, I think one good thing that like we really have came a long way for Halloween is that you're not really going to strangers' houses as much anymore. A lot of like places host festivals and, like, trunk-or-treats, and those yeah. like, aren't quite as stranger-y. I mean, it's still
1: strangers giving your kids candy. But...
2: I mean, yes, but it's in an organized event, so I feel like it's a little safer. <laughs> I suppose.
1: I don't know. My kids are ready, though. They've already made game plans. The oldest was like, I know what I'm going to do with all of my almond joys. I'm giving them to Nana because they're disgusting.
2: (laughs) I'm sure mom will love that.
1: Like, they've already decided what candies they're trading. Like, they're pumped and ready to go. Uh, The middle, the boy is bringing a pillowcase because the trick-or-treat bag I got him isn't big enough.
2: The littlest is bringing two costumes so she can hit every house twice. She did say that.
1: (laughs) She said, I need two costumes, so I can go to every house two times. Yeah. (laughs) She's not doing that, though. We've compromised. She's going to the Halloween party. We're being Avengers this year. So she's going to the Halloween party as Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy, and then on Halloween, she's going to be Mandy Mouse. Oh, okay. Because we have a Halloween party on Friday. We've already had the Halloween party because it's October 31st. Right,
2: right. That was lots of fun.
1: But actually, it's tomorrow. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thanks to uh, mom and dad's neighbors.
2: But anyway... Stay safe out there.
1: We love each and every one of you. Yes. We're going to hop off here.
2: All right. Bye, ladies and gents. Peace out. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at
1: www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked, where you can join one of our three tiers at the $5 level. We've got the moderately wicked For $7 a month, we've got the Awesomely Wicked. And for all of those high rollers, big ballers out there, we got the $10 level, the Extraordinarily Wicked. As a member of our Patreon, you are entitled to bonus episodes. Uh, You also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club.
2: Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore
1: dose underscore of underscore wicked or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones for a direct feed of our podcast please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com
2: great news you can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts that's right folks, we
1: are big time. You can now hear your weekly dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, Castbox and PodFriend.
2: The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is
1: Pandora. So, we'll let you know when that happens.
2: In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your weekly dose, dose of, of wicked. wicked. But psh <laughs>